Hello and welcome back to Parallel Passion. First off, I'd like to sincerely thank everyone who supports the show on Patreon. If you wish to join the awesome patrons of the show, go to patreon.com slash or follow the link in the show notes. You'll not only be supporting this podcast, but you'll also receive a special supporter package. Today I'm joined by Nate Zupan. He's a fellow Slovenian remote worker, an avid open source contributor, and an entrepreneur. We met on an event recently when we both presented benefits and drawbacks of working remotely. After talking to him for just a bit, I knew I had to have him on this podcast. So here we are. Enjoy. Hi, Nate. Welcome to Parallel Passion. Hey, good to be here. Happy to have you. How are you? Ah, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would I would imagine where you are, the weather is much nicer than it is here, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have constant 20 degrees, sunny most days. <sighs> Perfect. Yeah, no, we, we had that, but now it's raining, you know, springtime. Anyway, um, why don't you, why don't we start by you telling uh, who are you and uh, what do you do? So I'm, I'm Nate. Um, I come from Slovenia, same as you. Uh, I'm a, a geek since since forever. Um, and uh, this past decade, I've been running my own company called Nutel. We're a Python uh, boutique, so we're about 10 people. And uh, we, we started off uh, doing client projects. Uh, then we did a couple of startups, actually. And now we're basically, we merged all this together and we're now launching our own products every couple of years and uh, not taking any any VC mm -hmm. uh, to keep us sane and to have a really good uh, uh, work-life balance for everybody in the country in, in the in the company yeah that's that's very important and we're uh, we'll definitely come to that but since I, I mentioned the nice weather in the beginning um, where are you <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm currently as for the last couple of winters I'm in Spain uh, uh, actually in uh, Lanzarote, which is the northernmost Canary Island. I've been coming here for a number of winters, and before that, I've been come I've been coming to mainland Spain. And uh, yeah, I spent every winter here a couple of months at least, three, four, five, uh, depending on the year. And uh, yeah, I, I I don't see my how my life would be without uh, this escapes winter escapes to. Uh, to the Atlantic Ocean. We, I mean, I talked to our mutual friend, uh, Doman Kosher, um, and, and he was on here and he uh, explained on the, um, how, how it is on Lanzarote and, and all that. But um, what uh, got you started or what got you interested in, in being involved in, in water sports? What was the, the first time you remember that you were like, oh, wow, this is awesome. I want to do this. Uh, I remember as a, as a, as a kid we were going to the seaside i was i was in the sea all the time like i was you know snorkeling and just fooling around and i i, I have these memories where i would you know beg my father and my brother like oh come on in let's let's play together and they would be like nah <laughs> i'll you know i want to be on a beach read, read a book or the water is cold i'm like who cares if the water is cold like there's things going around and you can you know dive and jump and whatnot so i've had this connection with the sea since since forever uh and then in during during college during university i was uh, a very active member of a uh, electric engineering a european electric engineering uh, association called eastec uh, which totally shaped my life uh, but in one of the events we were in spain and uh, the organizers uh, rented a couple of windsurf beginner windsurf boards for us for the whole group uh, and then 
I had a go, like I, I just, you know, step on a windsurfer, like a really big board, small sail, and it was tiny, tiny bit of wind. And then, you know, just going the first 10 meters, I was just hooked on like, yeah, I want to do this. This is, this is so amazing. You harness the, the power of the wind and uh, you glide across the water and it's just, yeah, it's, I just fell in love with it from the first second. I, I remember starting for the first time. Well, granted, I don't know if it was a beginner, um, windsurf or not i just know that like i spend a lot of the time trying to just be on the board and keep the 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 thing in place before falling over in the next three seconds or something like that so <laughs> oh yeah it's hard windsurfing is all about failing uh, and I, th i think that's why i like it so much i i I like things where you're allowed to fail a lot. So was your, like, uh, when you started, um, did you actually get to harness the wind and enjoy it? Or did you just fall for the first couple of times? Um, I, I did actually, I mean, I was falling a lot, but I did, you know, when, when I got this first 10, 15 meters of uninterrupted, uh, you know, gliding across the water and falling, uh, that was just like, uh, because... The, the, the deal with windsurfing is why people get so addicted to it, and it is an addiction, <laughs> uh, is that it's not easy. And once you manage to do something, you know, whether it's the, the first time uh, you're actually, the board actually starts spinning because it's going fast, or is it, maybe it's your first turn or maybe your first jump, you have to invest so much um, like pain and suffering and time and energy into it that once you do it, you just, just feel this immense euphoria take over your body uh, because it's so hard to get there. And it still remains so hard now after you've been doing it for many years? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's still, it's... Uh, so I've, these days I, I mostly enjoy windsurfing uh, in waves. So you can imagine it as you would imagine normal surfing with a you know, classic surfboard, mm -hmm. uh, but you actually do it on a windsurfer. So... Uh, Uh, we do actually, you know, ride the wave exactly, in, very much the same as uh, with the normal surfboard, but you have all, all this extra speed and power that you can harness uh, from the wind. So it makes things just, you know, so much better in in, in a lot of uh, respects. But I, I'm not just windsurfing. I also, uh, I very much enjoy uh, uh, surfing, you know, classical surfing, uh, stand-up paddling. Uh, I tried kite surfing for a bit as well, you know, I go body surfing when the conditions are, are good. So I, I, I don't like to be compartmentalized into, you know, I'm a windsurfer, I'm a surfer, because a lot of people do that. And then when the conditions are not right, they're just, uh, uh, they just feel, well, basically they just feel bad and they stay on the beach and or they don't go out. But the reality is that, you know, the conditions are always good. You just have to choose the correct activity or the correct um, kit. To go out with so so you're like um like multi-practic in multiple fields you can just yeah, adapt yeah, to whatever yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. but everything is connected to to water and to the sea with you like i, I checked your your pictures on facebook and it's like 98 water <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true yeah <laughs> how would you recommend people uh if if they are uh, if they want to try it if they're interested in it um where where to go how to start like is it better to don't <laughs> <laughs> don't <It's>, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> the, the, the problem the problem with windsurfing is um well for example if you're in slovenia you, you cannot really do surfing because we don't really have waves in slovenia consistently there are a couple of times a year especially in the winter you can get good waves 
but um, you you cannot learn in Slovenia. Uh, windsurfing you can learn. There's surprisingly there is there, there's a lot of wind in our in our uh, in our well in the region around. So if you're willing to drive, you know, an hour or two, you you can windsurf. You, you can have good windsurfing like twice a week or maybe three times a week on an average week. Um, so nearby uh, beaches in Italy and Croatia. So the, the, yeah, the problem with windsurfing is you have to you know you have to drive there. There's a lot of different kit that you need to buy, and then first you buy a bit a bigger board, and then you know if if you really train in about like maybe maybe even a few months that that, that kit is going to be completely useless to you, and you're going to have to sell it and buy a new one. Mm-hmm. And you obviously don't want to buy new because you know then you're spending all this money, so you ha- you want to buy used, and then whenever you're buying used used things, if you're not uh, really experienced uh, it's it's hard to buy good things yeah which you're not experienced when you're just starting out right yeah exactly exactly um and then it's uh, the, the the problem with windsurfing is and surfing as well is that you cannot schedule it in advance so you cannot say well next may i'm gonna go you know to this place for 14 days and i'm gonna have fantastic windsurfing because you need wind Hmm. And you know, when we we don't yet have you know forecast models that will actually work more than a day or two in advance, consistently. So you have to go when there's wind, uh, and that's that's why a lot of people you know stop windsurfing because they are you know when they, when they get a job they are limited to, you know you know you can only you can go to vacations only at these points of time. And then you, know, you go windsurfing in that in that in that week or so, and there is no wind, and you spend a lot of money, and you're grumpy, and you come back, and like well, this was a totally ruined vacation. <laughs> but you know, if if you do get pulled in uh, like I did, then you start to uh, morph your life around it. So your entire life enables you to be flexible enough to to go uh, chase the storms whenever there are storms. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to work from you know wherever you are, I'm I'm I've, I've been working remotely for I think a decade now, um, and it has become such a big part of my uh, my working you know how I'm used to work that I I really cannot work in an office anymore. I have to be out and about a lot of the times. I just work in my car. Hmm. Um, you know I would park at the beach, see well the conditions are not there yet open up my laptop and do a couple of hours of uh, really focused work, uh, set a timer in two hours to remind me to look at the, out of the window. <laughs> Can't you just like sort of predict if you have like, I don't know, two weeks to go to like Lanzarote or Hawaii and just hope that like at least, I don't know, half of the days will be suitable for windsurfing or not even that? Yes, yes, yes. There are, you know, there are parts of the world uh, where, you know, you have some months where the wind is more consistent. In the Canaries, that's uh, that's the summer. So this the summer. In the summer, you have trade winds, mm-hmm. but you can get bad years. Or for example, uh, in the summer is also uh, Greece is popular. There are some um, places in Croatia that are popular. But even in in the most consistent months, you can get a week of no wind. Yeah. And you know, if if you've been waiting to go windsurfing for you know half a year and then you get a bad week, that really um, kills your motivation. Th- that said, there is a there is a fantastic windsurfing school in Slovenia. I have to give a shout out to. Uh, it's called windsurfer.si, mm-hmm. Quicksilver Windsurf School, and I've actually started windsurfing with them, and I've been to their camps I think ten times. And I, I wouldn't be a windsurfer, and they they wouldn't exist. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they're basically they go to they they don't do schools in Slovenia. They travel to places like Egypt, Brazil, uh, Canary Islands, uh, all around the world uh, every you know every month month or every couple of months. Greece, and then people mostly from Slovenia join them, and then you know you have uh, instructors in the water, you have people filming you on the beach, and then you you look at the footage together. Uh, in the evening so then you can prove the next day ah, cool. and if somebody really wants to learn windsurfing you should definitely go with with, with this guys and girls uh, they're fantastic yeah that definitely sounds cool um what's your favorite place where where you've been and maybe that's like dependent on conditions as well but like where where did you enjoy it the most Lanzarote, where i'm staying it's 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 a paradise <laughs> the island is in the middle of atlantic uh, an Atlantic Ocean always has uh, the, 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 about 20 degrees, 18, 19, 20 degrees. So throughout the year, the temperature of the air is around 20 degrees because the wind blows from from the sea. And you know, in the winter, it warms it up. In the summer, it, it cools it down, the, the, the temperature of the air. Um, we are in the middle of Atlantic, but we don't get you know storms as, uh, are, as we're used to in the Mediterranean. Um, there, is, there is waves every day. I haven't had a single day of no waves in since i've been coming here so there's something to do every day mm-hmm. and um lanzarote is quite small and it's not very touristic uh it's very beautiful uh, they had uh, an urbanist a legendary urbanist that was living here from the island but who was the main urbanist here for about 20 30 years and he made these rules that no skyscrapers can be built in the in the island all the houses need to be painted white with either green or or uh, or blue windows, depending on what the order they are turned to towards the mountains or toward the sea. So it's like living in a fairy tale. Nice. Um, there are no trucks on the roads. The roads are really beautiful for for biking. It's for cycling. It's fantastic island. Uh, even for rock climbing, hiking, you can go on the volcanoes. There are caves you can go visit. Um, and yeah, surfing is fantastic because it's not crowded as much as the other islands. A lot of the times I'm alone in the water and maybe, maybe get like three, four people in the water and we share the waves. Um, and as far as wave quality, you know, the world surfing championship happened here a couple of years back. Uh, it's one of the longest waves in the Atlantic ocean or or in the Canaries is on Lanzarote. Uh, it's almost a kilometer long wave. It's, it's crazy when it works. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah. You sit on a wave for, I have one video shot with a GoPro where I'm on a wave more than a minute. <laughs> what? <laughs> you can get some, some waves in the Adriatic in the winter, but you know, those are short, like you know, do a couple of wiggles and then you're out. Now I want to go. <laughs> go on a vacation. <laughs> it's such a beautiful island. Like, if, even if you don't do surfing, it, it definitely should be higher to do. I'm going to follow your advice when you said don't. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not going into windsurfing. Uh, I, I already have too many expensive hobbies, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't want to give you another disease. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, you, you mentioned before uh, working remotely, and um, I, I definitely want to talk about that because that's uh, also how we met um, through our mutual friend, uh, Sasha, who invited us to give like, a, what was it, like a small meeting, meetup for... Um, HR that wanted to know more about um, remote work and how it works and we have um, like we were both working remotely I guess you much longer than me even but um, we approach it I guess in w- very different ways where um, 
I am mostly like a, a contractor and you started your your own company and you have people working for you. And I will I would like to talk a bit about that. So how how did the story start with you? What was the the first remote position that you had? Like when did you start working remotely? It started before I, I, uh, Nitel came to be. Uh, like I said, I was I was really active in uh, in Eastac, um, uh, an en- an engineering association of uh, in Europe for for students of electric engineering and computer science, mm-hmm. and. Uh, like if there are any students of electric engineering and computer science listening, definitely check out Eastec. It's it's gonna change your life for the better, I'm sure. Um, so Eastec is all about doing uh, one week long workshops where you invite people from around Europe to come to your country, and then you know you do a workshop either in robotics uh, or uh, maybe web development, and then uh, they will do the workshop, and then you can come visit their their country. Um, so you know. The organization works it has been working in, in a remote way since since forever because you know there are people there are students from around Europe well we do not have we don't have money to meet in person you know every month or every week to to organize events so we have to be able to you know communicate via email back in the days um, so when, when we started the company uh, I knew that I wanted to I wanted to have international projects uh, for two reasons. One is um, just getting paid more because I knew that you know the, the prices for for you know a website in Germany are way higher than in Slovenia. Mm-hmm. And the second one is uh, we we were really passionate about you know quality, wanted to do quality work. And in Slovenia at that time it was really hard to do quality web work because everybody knew. Uh, some student that can do the their project for 300 euros. Unfortunately, this is still the case in in many places. I can imagine, yeah. So f- from day one, we wanted to have international projects. So we've had international customers. So from you know from from basically from the start. So you never really worked as a contractor. You started the company and then started working remotely. Well, basically, the the company was working remotely. My, like my first job summer job was i already did the summer job in primary school mm-hmm. i was just doing support like installing windows machines and then during high school i was you know programming and again doing some support i was i was also a translator of uh, uh, manuals for ibm software things like that um but yeah uh, I, I started a company when i was in second year in in in, in college at 21 22 something like that 21 i guess Twenty. Um, so yeah, it was it was quite in the beginning of my career, and then uh, uh, basically I took over uh, I, almost immediately. I always after a couple of months, I, or a couple of months of running the company, uh, it it became apparent that I will not finish the faculty because I'm learning so much more just working on projects and uh, failing, failing a lot. Both in windsurfing and and here. <laughs> yeah, that's. I think one of my main grudges that I hold against our educational system is it doesn't allow you to fail and it teaches you not to fail. And I think failing, being able to fail and being confident to fail a lot uh, is a very good uh, trait to have. It's not enough to fail. It's knowing why you fail and how to fix it. Because if you just fail and learn nothing from it, then you're basically, um, you're much worse off than you would be like, uh, taking an, a lesson out of it or something like that. Yeah, uh, but you know that's 
you, you can you, you can learn how to learn from failing. Just keep failing. You know, if you keep if you just keep failing a lot, I think at some point you're you're gonna learn something from it. I know, um, like c- certain people who are just like failing and failing all the time, and they like wear it as a badge of honor, but they're failing for the same exact reasons every time. And I'm like, you're missing the point. Mm. <laughs> the point is to learn from failure, not to fail. Yeah. How did you go about finding people to work for you once you expanded enough? Um, did you did you look for remote people immediately? Did you look for like Slovenians? How did you go with that? Well, in, in the first couple of years, we did have an we did actually have an office uh, in the uh, in the university incubator, and then later in the technology park. Um, but yeah, so we looked in the obviously we looked in the Slovenian market uh, through you know friends that I knew. But also, um, uh, there are a couple of people that uh, work with us that came from Eastec, and then the vast majority of people that stay with us longest came from the open source community, at least in the beginning. I was very, I, I still am active in the open source community. I went and I still go to a lot of conferences. I organize conferences, meetups. So I meet a lot of people like that and, uh, and then invite them to work with us. Uh, but in the recent years, we we actually started hiring remotely too, like actually going on, uh, um, you know, remote uh, job, job, job boards and finding people there. And it has, it has been working good for us. It's good that this remote thing has become a mainstream because five, uh, yeah, five years ago, nobody was, you know, actually looking for remote work actively. Uh, and it wasn't like, it wasn't a, a, compet- a competitive advantage to, to hire remotely today it is yeah so that, that's good what are you looking for in people that like when you're hiring remotely what are the most important skills you you focus on other than technical stuff it's actually pretty simple for like an ideal candidate i can i can recognize from their github account mm-hmm. um, remote work requires you to be able to communicate with people of in different time zones, uh, different backgrounds, different cultures, uh, and getting your point across. And if 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 I if I see someone getting their uh, pull requests merged consistently, that means that they are able to communicate their ideas clearly, so that the the the, the software authors can understand them and then validate that they're good ideas and then merge them into the software. Uh, so yeah, that it's actually very simple for an ideal candidate. The problem is that not a lot of people do open source contributions. So yeah, yeah that, that's what I was about to ask you. Like, what about the people that don't contribute to open source? We've I've realized over the years that having a a long interview or maybe even several interviews is um, is kind of pointless because in an interview you have this test, you know, test assignments and whatnot uh, where you're doing things that you're not then doing at the company in real work. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we do now is we have, uh, we have, so you, you get about 10 questions to answer very general ans- uh, questions like, you know, what's the, what's the latest book that you read? And mm-hmm. Like what, what's the lesson that you learned from it? What was your most recent mistake and how are you making sure it doesn't happen anymore? Um, and then you know what's in your toolbox. Why? What do you like about you know the tools that you that you use? For example, 
uh, your editor. Why do you use that editor and not something else? Like, do you use Vim? Why Vim? Why not Emacs? Why Sublime? Right. So very general questions like that. Um, and then we have a short chat just to check that we are on basically the same wavelength that we can, you know, uh, build up a report over, over video in a, a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. Um, and we give, we ask people to do three contributions to the software that we use. So we give them a list of, I think, 15, um, Python, mostly Python, uh, libraries that we use. And, uh, we give them links to the beginner issues that are in those, in those software. Mm-hmm. And we tell them like, do three contributions for each contribution. We're going to pay you, um, and then get back to us when you're done. Or if you if you're already a professional open source contributor, just send us links to your uh, existing contrib- contributions. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that point, we we hire the person on a trial because that's the only way to to see if you can really work with somebody is to work with them. Yeah, that's that's basically why I was asking because in in my experience with remote work, sometimes. I value um, the ability to work remotely more than I do like technical skills mm-hmm. um, because in in this uh, way of working, communicating and working, knowing how to work asynchronously is very important, like more important than being, I don't know, really in top 10% of developers or whatever. Absolutely agree. It's really hard to to just from that one hour or whatever that you have an interview to gather whether someone is uh, a poor communicator or just really nervous, for example. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, a lot of people just have bad luck at that one interview. So we don't put a lot of, like, you really talk generally about things. Uh, don't try not to go into specific things. We never give them, you know, uh, coding uh, assignments during the interview. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, talk us about, you know, what you do, your past work, uh, what were the successes, what were the failures. Mm-hmm. And then try to get them, try to invite them to work with us as soon as possible um, for, you know, a couple of weeks to see how it goes. Which for some people, it's the problem with this is that, you know, privileged people can, can afford to do, to come work for us for a couple of weeks and, and, and test it out. But I, we've been trying to, uh, to have a more, have more diversity in the company and, uh, underprivileged groups have a hard time to do that because maybe they're already in a, in a, in a, in a job and they, for them, it's risky to take in, you know, to, to, um, to take, you know, a couple of weeks just to try if it works with us because maybe we're going to say no at the end and then they're going to, they're going to have to look for another job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to find a better solution for that. Um, if you have any ideas there, I'm all ears. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get what you mean because we are struggling with the same exact thing. It's it's hard, and that's why I asked about uh, open source contributions. Because, like, for example, if if someone is working for full time and is a mom, uh, like they don't have free time to work on on open source. So it's good that you also give opportunity to people who like don't commit to open source either because they don't have time or because they're not interested or or whatever. Yeah. Uh, what I described before was an ideal candidate, which we don't get a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, well <laughs> I know how that goes. <laughs> you mentioned that you started uh, working like websites and projects for for uh, other companies, and then uh, recently or like lately, you started to work on your own products. Um, when did the switch start, and why? Uh, Dan, the uh, the co-owner of the company, we we st- we had another project before Nitel. It's called Mladipodetnik, which means young entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And it's a nonprofit organization in Slovenia to support entrepreneur, entrepreneurship uh, among youngsters. 
We started that because back in 2005, 2006, we re realized it was really hard to um, basically start up a company, start a startup in the ex-Yugoslavian Republic of Slovenia. <laughs> uh, there were a lot of roadblocks in in the way, like there was the information was missing, and in I had this uh, under the under the open source influence. I had this idea: well, let, let's get through this, let's document everything, and then let's put this on information online. Let's create a forum where people can ask questions, and we can we can help them out. And yeah, ten years later, they're one of the biggest organizations to support uh, young entrepreneurs in Slovenia. Uh, they still do. The, mo the majority of their events and their education events are still free uh, in this, you know, uh, sharing, volunteering ethos. And I'm just so proud of them. Like, really, the, the, the guys and, and girls are doing fantastic work. I have to give you praise for the blog posts. Um, most of them are very useful. It uh, yeah, definitely helped me when I was starting out. And even now, when there are, like, text changes or stuff like that. So, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so great to hear that we're... Anytime we hear that we're helping people out, just give me the warm fuzzies. <laughs> <laughs> like when, when we started uh, for Dating, like we, the, the, the idea was this has to be a non-profit organization. Uh, we don't want to you know, build it up as a company. Uh, but then obviously we had aspirations, uh, company aspirations, and we wanted to build, do projects like that one. So where you uh, actually uh, create some value for people and then you charge them uh, for that value. Uh, either as a subscription or uh, it, back in the day that was popular to, to run ads on, on you know, projects like that. Um, so we started the company with this idea that we want to do, back, day, back in the day it was called uh, web publishing, which is where you create online communities and then you either um, do you know, uh, paid membership or you run ads. But because we were poor students, we didn't have any money. So we, we said, well, actually we're going to, we're going to do half, half. So half we're going to do think about uh, ideas and, and that we can do in the web publishing uh, market. And then half we're going to be basically consultants. We're going to do web projects for people. And then we've been doing that for a couple of years. Uh, become very successful uh, in, in the Python community. At which point I was really, um, I was trying to make people, uh, developers in, in Slovenia understand that they can be freelancers. They can work remotely for foreign companies and not be paid minimum minimum wage, as was customary for you know developers seven, seven eight years ago. And unfortunately, things well while not being minimum wage, a lot of developers still work for like severe submarket wages. Yeah, yeah, I know. What was and the the and the, the kind of products that you launch and are like are launching? Um, uh, like outside of your, um, let's say, contracting work? We were building basically a freelancing company uh, by accident. and But we realized a couple of years in that we don't want to, we don't want to be doing freelancing for the next you know, 10, 20 years mm -hmm. because uh, there are several reasons. For example, the first one would be when you're a freelancer on the project, you're the first one to go when the project experiences some financial hurdles. You're the, you're the easiest one to let go. So you always have to have this uh, chunk of money, money reserve to then be able to take a couple of months to find new work. Because if you're in a rush to find new work, you're going to accept, you know, lower, lower payment than uh, you could have if you had longer time to negotiate. Mm -hmm. 
so always having this thing above your head, uh, like what if we don't have work tomorrow, you know, <laughs> which was a reality. And the second big problem is that in freelancing, uh, if you're if you're building a free, freelancing agency, um, a, a lot of your top people will either start to do freelancing there like on their own on they'll get or they'll get hired directly by your customers and yes there are there are ways to work around that but uh, that means that you you have to you know sacrifice transparency in the company and be like very micromanagement type of uh, have micromanagement type of leadership and i really don't want that uh, because i'm used to working in open source communities i like transparency i like people to to decide what they want to work on. So that really mm-hmm. worked against us. Um, and I think it was around 2012, 2013, where we already launched one project, like over the weekends. We did it over the weekends. It was, I was so stupid. <laughs> um, we're, we're basically doing SEO for one of one of our um, startup ideas. And we realized there's, there's this thing called private label articles, which are articles that you can say you're the author of. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you can buy packs of these articles, like ten thousand articles, fifteen thousand articles, fifty thousand articles. The problem is these these articles come in, come in like a couple of big folders. And back in two thousand twelve thirteen, uh, Windows didn't have search over files, like easy search, and people were actually manually scrolling and opening up articles to find like an article about let's say green tea. And we're like, wait a second. I just dumped this into my favorite Python CMS called Clone. And uh, 10 minutes later, you know, <laughs> I have a searchable database of articles. So we just, and then we sold lifetime subscription to that. Uh, we didn't even build uh, the billing, uh, the billing system uh, <laughs> from the start. We, we collected. So we said, we said people to send us, uh, Money over over PayPal, and then we 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 manually created an account for them, and then send them the username and password via email. <laughs> <laughs> and then once we started getting enough people, and we, we we integrated like PayPal webhooks so to automatically create users and send them emails. So, yeah. mm, it's it's crazy how much the web consumption changed because like yeah, like you said in uh, 2012 2013. Um, it wasn't common to sign up for like a software as a service. Uh, you just like uh, had to email someone or something like that. Whereas nowadays, just like everything is just a service. Yeah. Uh, and then there was a big, big milestone in the company it was 2014. Uh, so the first of January 2014, I sent an email to all of our consulting clients, telling them, "Sorry guys, we're not doing any consulting anymore." And that was so painful because we had really good contracts, like amazingly good contracts with people that I really enjoyed working with. But we realized that it's really hard to work on your own projects when you have, when you're making so much money doing consulting, right? Yeah. But we also knew that we don't, we don't want to do consulting in the long term. So we, we kind of saved up a, a couple of months worth of salaries, uh, went on minimal wage for everyone for well founders first and then even no, no salaries for founders for a couple of months and then we needed 11 months to launch our next project which then brought us back into profitability so it was a fun year <laughs> <laughs> so you bet all on a single product um not really we so the, the project that, that i described before we, we scaled that one up to from a couple thousand per, per month to i think it was 10 or 15 on bet per month for the best mm-hmm. months 
and then we launched a couple small ones. But in the but all the while we we're building one even a bigger project that uh, is our milk cow today. It's called Easy Block Networks. Uh, it's again for SEO purposes. If you um, if you're an SEO agency that needs to run you know, two three hundred uh, WordPress blocks, um, you would use our service. So the, the problem is you cannot just run them on on WordPress.com or on, on any hosting because you know all these blocks are for SEO purposes, and then you would get penalized by Google because they're coming from the same server. So you have to disperse through different, um, you know, hosting providers and whatnot. Uh, and we we automate that away for you. How many projects did you start since, or like how many products did you launch? Do you even keep count? We had so when we had our 10 years anniversary uh, a year ago, two years ago, uh-huh. uh, we had a big party, and, and Dan and I went through through our archives and we counted 150 projects. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> uh, obviously, the majority, vast majority of them, complete failures, and uh, <laughs> majority of them not even being launched, but a couple we launched and failed. Uh, so yeah, there's been a lot of failing going on. And uh, how many of those are like alive and bringing uh, like money in or like are net positive? One. Oh, so the, this one that you just mentioned? Yes, this one is our current uh, cash cow. We sold a couple uh, and a couple we just turned off because they were, they were bringing in some money, but they were uh, requiring much more of our focus and energy than they were bringing in money. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, if, if, if a project is bringing you know, 1% of your yearly revenue, but it's taking, you know, five percent of your even five percent of your attention. That's too much. Shut it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you mentioned no VC, and uh, I I completely agree with you that like uh, getting venture capital uh, in in uh, the business can change the priorities it, priorities of it considerably. But um, when or like how did you decide that you don't want to go this route, which is so popular uh, in in with in the startup land, I guess. Uh, so b- before before we we really uh, went, you know, all in in this uh, software as a service uh, type of products, we were part of a startup for a number of years where we raised uh, a you know good capital, mm-hmm. a good amount of capital, and I, I uh, we were in, we were kind of the technical. So as a company, we were the technical team in that in that startup and. We had all the responsibilities of running this, the project, but we have we didn't have the uh, authority to change things, and and the marketing was completely failing on that project. And we're just I was a I was a couple of really hard years, uh, you know, a lot of us experienced burnout. The the company went from four founders to two founders. Uh, we got in debt a lot. Uh, before we got out of the startup so and and you know i've i've had this i've seen it all i've seen it quite soon with with vc that yeah you're not there's a conflict of interest there um and it it comes back to that that drive that i have for helping you know geeks And, and i've seen so many times where somebody would be working at a startup as you know one of the most senior engineers for years and then they would get you know fired or let go two months before they would that their their equity would vest or they would Ugh. do an ipo or things like that and i just hate that i hate it when it happens yeah that that's horrible we're now actually part of a, a, a not vc fund called earnest capital it's a fund where the majority if not all of the investors uh, 
are founders of bootstrap companies and uh-huh. okay we're, we're supporting the idea is to, to to financially support people that already have a running project but they're uh, but they have up to like say two to five k monthly monthly recurring revenue so it is enough so there's definitely a project there there's definitely people that get value from the project but there's not enough um a revenue for 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 the owner to you know um, to do it full time, especially if they have a kid or you know whatever their life situation. Yeah. Uh, so earnest capital will then invest upward to 250k into into the into the company, but not for not not for equity, uh, but uh, for future earnings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for a percentage of future earnings. Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely sounds uh, interesting. And you mentioned the the example that you had before of people getting fired. Uh, just before vesting, yeah. um, and I I know you also advise uh, I don't know geeks or just regular people on um, what to do and how to manage money and in a way to get like uh, financial freedom in a way. Um, can you can you talk a bit more about that? One of the best things that my mother learned, taught me or that I got from my mother was uh, in high school. My, you know, my, my, my pocket money amount was really low. I got I, in today's money it was like 10 euros per month mm-hmm. uh, to spend as, you know, as pocket money, but I would get reimbursed for, for all the expenditures that made sense, mm-hmm. such as, you know, food and clothing and education. Mm-hmm. So I was forced from the first year of high school to collect all my invoices and then uh, total them up and then present them to my mother at the end <laughs> of the week to get reimbursed for those expenses. <laughs> and uh, this really taught me how to deal with money very early on. Um, <laughs> and yeah, somehow I got into reading books about investing and um and uh, financial uh, independence well not somehow it's actually my, my really good friend peter uh, introduced me to this world and we've had great discussions over the years the, the main problem with 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 financial industry is again the the conflict of interest uh because the 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 people that are making the most money in the in the financial industry so for example certain brokers or uh, or fund managers uh they're incentive is not to make you the most money but is to make them the most money yeah and they make the most money in a lot of cases by doing a lot of trades uh, because they get commissions off of trades and you as a person want to do as little trades as possible because those fees will eat your uh, profits in the long run mm-hmm. so why do you talk about mostly on on um, this like you you organize meetups uh, around this and um yeah it's just like do you, do you give like investment advice do you give like how to manage your money advice to give like advice like oh you should totally budget your money or it's how it's how to be critical about the information that you read about investment okay always always follow the money like why would somebody give you you know advice on this are do they if they have some financial incentive uh then there's probably conflict conflict of interest right any information that you read or that you hear always ask yourself, is that person earning money by giving me that information? Or if I sign up to that, are they getting paid or are they getting some benefit out of it? And if they do, uh, you know, then be extra careful. (laughs) 
you have to go everybody has to go you know do their own research read their own books uh, you, you can start by uh researching uh, i think it's called fire community which is uh, financial indep- independence and early retirement something like that uh, mm-hmm. we, i can provide links later and uh, there's a fantastic book called uh, the four pillars of investing uh, it's from the 90s i think uh, a lot of the best financial books are actually old books uh, and that one explains you know from the beginning like, how what why do we why do we even have stocks and bonds and how do they work um and then the general the, the general um advice of course i'm not a you know financial advisor so please uh don't take this as financial advice uh is you know pe- people would recommend to stick to very wide index funds meaning so in an index funds index fund means that you buy the average of the market um if you look over the course of history the you know we've had let's say a couple percent growth of of the of the world stock market over the last you know 100 years uh, or if you, if you, if you consider in america it's been a bit more but anyhow um there there has been a a great body of research showing that if you follow the advice in financial magazines uh you're worse off than just following the average mm-hmm. um if you take the best managers in the world in history they're still worse off than the average of the market because you know there's there's theory behind it why it's like that but you know if, if you subscribe to that idea that you should always just buy the average uh you get an index fund and then you don't sell it and you just keep holding it um and yeah, that's the that's the general premise. Like, forget about following the financial news. Forget about uh, seminars. Forget about everything. Just find an index fund that works for you, that is uh, well diversified and has very low, uh, very low fees. Mm-hmm. That's that's the key thing to to have very low fees. But what about personal finances? Like, do you suggest people um, like not just investment, but like day to day? Uh, do you suggest people to budget? Do you just like do whatever you want? Just put some money every month on the side? For someone who's just starting out, I would suggest uh, the Tony Robbins uh, latest book, Money. I, I don't, you know, Tony Robbins is a beast and I, I don't you know, subscribe to the thing, most of the things that he says and how he does things. But this, the book that he wrote is a good introduction how to become responsible with your finances uh, and yeah, the general idea is that all the money that you get, all the salary, you should immediately, you know, split up into several jars. And then one would be for, uh, you know, saving up, one would be for spending, one would be for uh, donations and things like that for gratitude. But yeah. Um, and w- do you do any budgeting or you know, how do you manage your finance if you want to talk about that? Yeah, I used to uh, use this app, YNAP, uh, Why I Need a Budget, uh, which uh, which I really liked. Um, but then that version stopped working, and the new one is not to my liking. And I switched to like the Slovenian Toshel, mm-hmm. which is more just like expense tracking, not really budgeting. And that I don't like that much. Um, I really enjoyed that uh, way the wind up made me think about finances, basic premises. Every income that comes in, you you divide it up where it will go and there should be like no leftover. I think this is called like zero-based budgeting, something like that. Um, and there are other tools that do it, uh, but I really like this one. I guess I learned to live like that when i was using it and i still sort of do even though i don't use any tool for real budgeting 
Uh, there has been a couple of alternatives because no one really likes the new uh, Wine app. But uh, budget-wise, I guess it's one that I am keeping an eye on. But it's like developed by a single person, and I don't know how that's gonna work uh, in the future. You never want to bet to something like that. Like, oh, I'm gonna just put all my financial data in here, and then one day he's just gonna be like, oh yeah, I stopped working on it, and then I'm uh, out of luck. I think in my mind, I used Wineapp just long enough that I got used to this way of um, budgeting my money. I guess. What about you? Do you do you track expenses? Do you budget? Yeah, I track expenses well since since high school, mm-hmm. and I'm 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 still in the habit of doing that. I tried budgeting, but it didn't really work for me. And I think it doesn't work for most people in the long term. But like you said, I think it's super beneficial to do it for you know, some period of time because it changes your mindset of of how you think about money. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, exactly like you said, it. it even if you don't do budgeting anymore, you're still thinking the same principles, you know, with, yeah. with all the income that you get. So, yeah, I, I, I recommend people try budgeting, but don't be, uh, you know, don't be disappointed if it doesn't work out for you. I mean, it didn't work out for me. I think the most important thing with budgeting is that it can, like, I luckily was never in this in this position, but it can uh, get you out of like uh, problems, financial problems, where people have. Um, like credit card debt that they need to pay and uh, I don't know maybe like uh, you have a car service that needs taken care of or something like that and with proper budgeting and like uh, giving priority to those things you're not gonna go spend money on dining out like even though you see on your I don't know credit card or debit card that you have like 200 euros you will not go dining out because you know that like oh no that money is budgeted that because I have to pay my credit card debt completely agree Uh, so that definitely yeah that definitely helps uh basically it prioritizes your spending and this is um this is a good value to have i guess Mm because otherwise you just look at that number like available money and then oh i can spend it all Uh, don't (laughs) yeah uh, it, it's nice where the, the banks have come in the recent years. So a couple of Slovenian banks and a, uh, and a couple of, especially this new like N26 and mm-hmm, Monza and Revolut. They, uh, I use N26 and they have this thing called Spaces. Yeah. Uh, where you just you know say this is a space for you know, uh, you know car service. This is a space for vacation. This is a space for you know whatever. And then and just put money in there so it's not it doesn't show up as available money. It's it's put away. Yeah. That's basically how YNAP mentality works. That's just spaces. Mm-hmm. Just uh, um, And that's why it really worked for me because it, it was the first budgeting that made sense because uh, you put every like dollar in the bucket and it's there and you cannot touch it unless it's for that specific category. Mm-hmm. And um, like when you pay off the credit card debt or whatever that you have, it's really nice to have like 5 to 10k just in case in case of accident like because of the the thing that's called like a high probability of low probability event like it's unlikely your car will break down today it's unlikely your dishwasher will die it's unlikely you'll like break your leg but there's quite a high chance that one of those things will happen and then if you don't have any money on the site uh, it will be a real pain in the ass not just that month but probably for many future months. Yeah, it's not just paying in the ass, it's you're actually paying more than. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because maybe you have to take credit and then credit always costs money. Um, maybe you you cannot afford a good quality product then, and then you buy something that's cheap and then it's gonna break down again in a month mm-hmm. or in a year. Uh, 
so yeah that's a very good point uh very good point yeah you should always have uh, and i do personally have you know uh, a rainy day fund yeah and general rule would be three to six months of your salaries mm-hmm. uh, should be in your rainy day funds and uh this will also help you if you're a freelancer if you're a regular employee uh uh, looking for a new job if you have you know three if you can go three months without being super scared about paying your bills you can afford to do much uh, much more interviews and have much better idea of what the market rates are and then you can get a uh, get a better a better, better salary and also a better position because you're able to see more companies yeah yeah because you you have the freedom to negotiate because you know you can survive another month or two 100 percent yeah. Yeah. And then again that that means that you're going to have more money in the future because you negotiate a better. You can negotiate a better position. So yeah, having money on the side. It's funny when you know the saying that goes and the money makes money is so true. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of recommending things, <laughs> what would be like uh, the three books or like it can be even articles or videos or whatever that um you would recommend to our listeners? Um, and I, I'm talking about things that made like a big impact on on your life, on like that changed your life considerably. Let's say, yeah, like I like I've already mentioned, so the the four pillars of investing is is a, is a fantastic art, a fantastic book to start. I have to mention Tim Ferriss and his books and his podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very much a product of you know East Tech Open Source, obviously my parents and Tim Ferriss. Uh, his first book is called The 4-Hour Workweek. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he had The 4-Hour Body after that and The 4-Hour Chef. And now his latest book is Tribe of Mentors, I think. So he's a guy, he had a he had a he like an online business you know, years back and then burnt out uh, and then started thinking about how to optimize life uh, in a way that where you can work on things that you really want to work on and you're not stressed out you're not burned out mm-hmm. uh, and his books and his podcasts in his, in his podcast he interviews uh world-class performers in different areas from you know chess movie uh it art it's really diverse crowd like every yeah. time you get something yeah. completely unexpected but they're so similar yeah everybody does the same things you know when he asks you know what's your morning routine you know what what keeps you productive you know what the, the the answers are are so similar a lot of the times yeah so yeah if you're if if you haven't read any of his books or if you haven't listened to his podcast you definitely should uh the thing that changed that, that helped me have lead a better life in recent years is the uh it's, it's it looks like a book but it's actually a diary it's called a uh, five minute journal oh cool yeah that's i'm so much more i'm such a relaxed person since i've started using it yeah. Uh, do you know it? I talked a bit about journaling with Miriam in the previous podcast, and the five-minute journal method is the one that I practice. Yeah, um, I, I don't have the I don't have the book. I, I do it on my on my phone and on my iPad. But yeah, it's like it's amazing how a sing, simple thing and just five minutes a day, like simple thing like that, can completely change your life. Okay, how do you like? Do you have an app for that, or, or do you just use notes? Yeah, I have day one, which is like a journaling app. And then I have a Siri shortcut that uh, builds up the template every day. 
Um, I, I have everything in, in a blog post that I wrote, um, but I, I can also share it with you. Please do. Yeah, I made a couple of changes, um, a couple of additional questions uh, that I do for myself uh, in the evening. Um, but uh, yeah, like what, what was the experience for you? How did you come across it? And um, I'm pretty sure I got introduced to the five minute journal through Tim Ferriss or one of his podcasts and one of his guests. Mm -hmm. I started using it when we, when we had our first child and we were, we were, we were here in Lanzarote for our first, so our daughter was five months old and people that have, have had kids will know how life looks when you have your first child and they're five months old. Life is super hectic. And, um, yeah, we were away from our families here on this rock in the middle of the Atlantic. And, <laughs> uh, I, I was, I was under a lot of pressure of, you know, trying to, uh, trying to understand what it means, you know, being a father and what my responsibilities are and still running a company and then uh, trying to juggle the time between all that and, you know, surfing and windsurfing because, you know, this is why we're here because uh, I want to, I want to spend time in the sea, in the ocean. And the, the five, the five minute journal allowed me, like, allowed me to, to recognize that, you know what, you know, yes, it, it is 5 a.m. in the morning and I, I'm up because the baby woke me up and, you know, I'm going to be tired for the entire day and I might, I might be grudging the meetings, but, you know, I'm, I'm looking out of the window and there's sunrise over, over the ocean. Like, life's good. Like, don't, don't stress out. Uh -huh. uh, because we have this, uh, we have, we, as humans, we have this ability to, you know, to, to just make whatever our current standard is be the benchmark. And you always want yeah. more and more and more, and you're not appreciating what you already have. Yeah. Uh, so, so the biggest, yeah, the biggest thing that the five minute journal gave me was gratitude. So being you know, thankful for you know, where I am at, at the moment and people around me. And yeah. Yeah. That's that thing is called like hedonic treadmill or hedonic adaptation. Yeah. Yes, um, yes. Where you just, yeah, want more and more and whatever you have, you take for granted. And then, any any regression you take as a punishment, even though like I don't know a year ago you would consider it a huge upgrade. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it kicked me out of that <laughs> spiral of death. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so interesting to to hear uh, many of us getting familiar with journaling again, um, and uh, like because it really does improve life. Like cause when you hear people talk about like I do now. Um, or like yeah yeah whatever journaling exactly yeah. but it really does make a difference it's it's crazy yeah i've realized uh, over the past few years that a lot of the things that i i thought of like stupid you know these old old people uh, say this and mm -hmm. a lot of them are so true it's it's <laughs> it's funny how they're banal and you know <laughs> it, it, like take journaling for example um I would just write, I'm calm in the morning. That's it. Mm -hmm. And I would actually be calm during the day. I would remember through the day that I wrote that I'm going to be calm. So uh, whenever I've, I was you know, stressing out, I was like, no, I'm calm. And it works. And I was like, how can this work? This is so stupid. <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe we're just getting old. Yeah, I think we, we went out of the rebel phase into the uh, mature phase. And now we're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> those, those people actually, they, they knew what they were saying. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Who knew, yeah. <laughs> um anyway uh thanks uh nate thanks so much for being uh for being my guest uh, pleasure's all mine and uh see you see you when you come back into slovenia i guess <laughs> yeah
about a month. Let's catch up. Cool. Okay. Bye. Cheers. All right. This was my interview with Nate. I would love if you would share this podcast with your friends and followings. And if you're listening in Apple Podcasts, you would truly make my day if you post a review there. I get direct messages, but no one else sees those. Reviews and social shares are there for everyone to see, and they help other people discover good shows, like, you know, this one. If you use a different app like Breaker, Overcast, or anything else that supports liking or favoriting, I'd appreciate your action there as well. You can also financially support this podcast and the idea behind it by going to patreon.com slash That's patreon.com slash P-A-R-P-A-S-P-O-D. Or open the show notes and follow the Patreon link there. Thank you. You can find the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are at Parpaspot on all of them. All the links from this episode are in the show notes and on our website, parallelpassion.com slash 27. Thank you for listening and have a passionate day.